some foundational things to understand about how our culture sees us as people. In other words, the culture has a particular understanding of who you are as a human being and what it means to be a human being. And, and what, what the culture would have us to believe is that the heart is our emotional center, right? Uh, and that's, I just spent a lot of time talking about how our culture pulls on our heartstrings. It's, it's, it's heartwarming. It's heart-wrenching. Uh, it's all of these things having to do with our heart. And, and what the culture understands is that your heart is the emotional center of your being. Uh, and so this is where we live our romantic Lives. We live our romantic lives out of our heart. Uh, we, we talk about falling in love. We talk about our heart being warmed by this person or their presence or what they do and all of these things. And, and, and so we, we really live out our, our, our remote romantic lives from here. The, the heart is understood as being the emotional center of our lives. And, and uh, the truth is, is that as a culture, we tend to live pretty emotionally. Emotions rule the day, right? Uh, how many times have you heard that if it just feels good, then do it, right? I mean, that is the mantra of our culture, and that is, that is a call to live from your emotional center, right? And so sometimes we, we frame it in, in terms of if it feels good, do it. Sometimes we frame it in terms of we just need to live more from the heart, right? You've heard that probably. We need to live from our heart. And this is really a call to, because our culture understands that as being our emotional center, it's a way of saying, let your emotions dictate your actions. And so if you feel something, then do it. If you don't feel like it, then don't do it. It's all about this feeling our way through it. Now, this isn't all bad, uh, except for the fact that our emotions can't always be trusted. Uh, and so sometimes we follow our emotional center. We've, we, we go down the road that our emotions are leading, and it misleads us. It leads to destruction, consequence, bad outcomes, all kinds of things. Because our emotions, how we feel about something that can't always be trusted. Now, culturally uh, and stereotypically, females live from their emotional centers, right? Uh, they live from their emotional centers. They live from, uh, from their heart. Now, this is never more clear uh, than when you're shopping for a house. Um, because females walk into a home and they just want to know how it feels. And, and, and so they're like, the, the foundation could be cracked. Uh, the wiring could be bad. But if she likes the way it feels, then you better sign the papers. Because you're buying that house. Right? Uh, it, it, that was... That, again, was a little bit of a joke, but very under the radar. So I'm asking you to be very attentive this morning, because uh, if you don't laugh at my jokes, I will laugh at my own jokes. I'm not too proud to do that. Uh, and so culturally, females live from their emotional center. Uh, and so that's what our culture says, is your heart is your emotional center. Uh, then our mind is your logical center or your reasonable center. Right? And so sometimes people say or are told that they're being too emotional. You're being too emotional about this, and you need to be more logical, more reasonable. Uh, be reasonable about this. In other words, the message is stop feeling and start thinking. Right? 
uh, put it on a spreadsheet, think through the facts, look at it from all the angles, and then make a decision. And, and some of you analytical guys were like, amen, Excel is my best friend, spreadsheets rock, want to get together Friday and build a spreadsheet, okay? Um, because nothing says party like Microsoft Excel, I'm just saying. And so, uh, and so sometimes it's like we, we, we create these, these separations, these dichotomies. We're either living from our, our hearts, our emotional center, or we're, we're just living from our, our mind, which are, is our logical center, our emotional center. Now, culturally, stereotypically, males live from their logical centers. And so he doesn't care about the color of the house or whether it is ugly to the bone. He just wants to know, is it built well? Is it in solid shape? Is it going to pass the inspection? That's what he wants to know. Uh, no, uh, he can't see one day little kids running through these hallways. Uh, he's just worried about the condition of the drywall, okay? That's the logical center. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I mean, lots of stereotypically guys live from their logical center. And then, so you have the heart as the emotional center, the mind as the reasonable center or the logical center, and then the spirit. Uh, which our culture says is sort of the intuitive center, uh, spirit or soul or, or whatever kind of word you want to describe that, that sort of intangible part of us, uh, culturally is understood to be our intuitive center. Uh, this, is, this is when we say we just have a feeling in our gut. I can't really describe it. I can't really put any facts to it, nor am I really feeling anything in particular. I just... I just, I just got it in my gut that this is uh, where we need to go or what we need to do. Um, this, by the way, people live out their religious life uh, from their intuitive center. Uh, this is how culture understands it, is that we live our religious and spiritual life out of our, out of our spirit, our intuitive center. In other words, when a religion or a faith or a spirituality makes sense or connects with someone, what they're talking about is they're living out their faith from their intuitive center. In other words, faith a lot of times is understood in the absence of logic and sometimes in the absence of feeling. And so, right, it's, if, it's a, if it's faith, then there can't be any logical things about it or reasonable things that make sense about it. It's just a leap of faith. And if it feels right or if it connects with me, uh, then that's the direction that I'm going to go. And so, and so one week or one month, it might be, you know, I'm really connecting to the Christian faith. But the next month or the next week or the next day or the next moment, I, be, I might be more connected to uh, the, the tenets of, of Buddhism or Taoism or any of these other world religions. And see, in that, in, when, when people are sort of going in, in from one place to another, they're living out their spiritual and religious life from their intuitive center, what feels right, what connects in the moment. Um, when actually, uh, I would argue that if we look at the Christian faith, that's not only intuitive and not only a, a matter of the heart where God has a lot to say about the heart, but it's also very logical and very reasonable. And there's lots of facts that could be lined up that make sense to place our faith there because every step, every belief system is in fact a step of faith. But that's, that's for a different uh, 
sermon series. <laughs> Uh, and, and so that's how our culture really understands ourselves, is that you are made up of three parts. You're made up of your, of your heart, your emotional center, your mind, your logical center, and then your spirit, your intuitive center. But let me say this. The Bible knows of no such thing. In other words, the way in which our culture understands who we are is not how the scripture understands who we are. It's not how God has designed us. Because when the scripture talks about the heart, it's not talking just about your emotional center or your feeling or, 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 or any of, of those, those romantic kinds of things that we've come to understand about the heart. In fact, the Hebrew word for heart is the word lab, L-A-B-E. It could be lab, it could be labe. Uh, but this word literally means the center of the person. The center of who you are is how the Bible understands your heart. The Bible doesn't paint your heart into one particular corner of who you are. The Bible says the center of who you are is described as the heart. In other words, if we were to take our cultural understanding of emotional, logical, and and intuition, intuitive, and we were to place them all in one category, then we're getting close to a way in which the Bible talks about our hearts. It's the center of who we are. It's the seat of of all of our thoughts, our emotions, our passions, our appetites, our affections, our desires, our purposes, all of these things find their root, their beginning, their seat in our heart. In other words, your desires and passions and appetites and all of those things flow from your heart. Does that make sense? And so when the Bible talks about our heart, it's not talking about just this little thing over here. It's talking about absolutely the core of who you are. Which brings a lot more weight to the words of wisdom. Guard your hearts. For everything that you do flows from it. The Greek equivalent for the Hebrew word lab or labe is the word cardia, which of course is where we get our word cardiac when speaking about the heart. And this is, uh, this, is the, this is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word. So it means all those same things, the center of who you are, the seat uh, of your thoughts, emotions, passions, appetites, affections, all of those things flow from the heart. And what I want to do to begin this series is I want to talk to you about the centrality of the heart. And I want to take sort of a brief, like broad sweeping view of what the scripture says about the heart. Uh, and then I want to make just two points. Because the scripture has a lot to say about the heart. In fact, it's used over 900 times in scripture. I will not be reading 900 passages or verses of scripture to you this morning. Uh, I want to read some of the more famous ones that use the word heart. And in every one of these instances, it's either the word labe or cardia. It's not just some, uh, oh, every time, 
every time the English translates into heart. No, it's, we're, I went back to the original languages, and in each one of these passages of Scripture, we're talking about the center of who we are. Uh, and here's just a, a, a short, short uh, scope or, or sweep of what the Scripture has to say about our hearts. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. Now, one might say, well, see, there you have it. It's a dichotomy. There's a heart and there's a soul and there's a mind and there's a strength. There's, uh, you know, what do you mean the Bible didn't say, see the human person in the same way that we see the human person? Well, he begins with love the Lord with all of your heart with all of who you are, and then he emphasizes that point by naming different parts of all who we are, but it's all encompassed in the heart. And so love the Lord with all of your heart, the center of who you are, and with all of your, by the way, in case you didn't catch it, all of your heart, soul, soul, mind, and strength. That's what's happening there in that verse. Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Uh, An alternate translation says, show me your treasure and I'll show you where your heart is. I like that better because it starts with the treasure. What do you treasure most? What's your deepest affection? Where do you spend your money the most? If we were to look at your bank account, what what does the bank account reveal as being obviously important to you? Because let me show you your treasure first And then where your treasure is, then I'm going to buy that. I'm going to show you your heart. It's pretty revealing. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 3, uh, it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. And and, and when God hardens Pharaoh's heart, he's talking about hardening the, the center of who he is. All of who he is is hardened for the purposes of God. And then also there's some passages in the scripture about how the Lord discerns our heart. How the Lord discerns our heart. How how the Lord isn't so concerned about what you do as much as he is concerned about why you do what you do. What is the motivating factor of your actions? Because whatever your motivation is flows from the heart. Here's a couple passages about that. 1 Samuel Chapter 16, verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. But the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the center of who we are, our hearts. 1 Corinthians verse four, or chapter 4, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes, and he will bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. The Lord knows our hearts. That thing that you don't think anybody else knows, the Lord knows it. Uh, that thing that you say to yourself, or, 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 or that thing that you think about, uh, or that thing that is so deep inside of you, you don't think anybody else knows it, the Lord knows it, because the Lord discerns our hearts, and he's familiar with the deepest parts of who we are. Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35 says this, You brood of vipers, how can you, 
uh, who are evil say anything good, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. If you find yourself saying words of bitterness, then this passage indicates that you have bitterness hidden in your heart. A good man brings good out of the things stored up in him. The word him here is also the word heart. It's, it's a way of describing the deepest parts of us. A good man brings good things out of the good, store, good things that are stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil that is stored up in him. And then that verse has a companion verse in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. A good man brings good things out of the good things stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The first point that I want to make to you regarding the centrality of the heart is this. You cannot help but live from your heart. And so every time the culture is like, you need to live more from your heart. That's a misnomer. That's misleading. Because you're already living from your heart. You can't help but live from your heart, if there's things in your life that you don't like, if there's, if there's words that you speak that you don't like, it's a condition of the heart. It's a heart condition. Right? I mean, the, 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 the scripture indicates that everything that we do flows from the condition of our heart. So you can't help but live from your heart. And this is why scripture is so... So clear in the book of wisdom, Proverbs, and the reason why we need to guard our hearts. If if you're asking the question, why do I need to guard my heart? It's because everything that you do flows from your heart. You are living right now from your heart. From the center of who you are. Your motivations, your emotions, your thoughts, your speech, your appetites, your desires... Everything flows from the heart, which is why it is critically important for us to guard it. Now, again, sometimes, uh, sometimes there's this cultural message of we need to live from the heart, but sometimes we, we Christianize that and we say, you know, in your life with God, in your faith, you need to live more from the heart. You need to have, uh, you, you know, you need to enter into this romance with God, live from your heart with God. And there's some validity to that, and there's, that's a pretty good analogy of, of living in close relationship with God and all of those things, and they can be helpful. But again, anything that tells you that you need to live more from your heart is a misnomer because you can't help but live from your heart. Let me say it this way. Your life and your heart are in perfect sync. So if you're feeling like your life is a little bit out of sync and, and things, things are there that you don't really like, uh, again, I would say it's a condition of the heart. You need more than behavior modification. You need to go down to the root of your heart and what motivations are causing you to, to do that which is really a call to discern your heart. Because your heart and your life are in perfect sync. 
So you need to discern your heart and begin to ask these types of questions of yourself. What does my heart believe that is leading me to this action? If you've got an action, you've got a habit, you've got an addiction, you've been trying to break it, you can't get out of the cycle, and, and there's something going on, and you've tried, and you've gone to this, and you've tried that, and you've done, gone here, and nothing seems to work. It, it's, and, and maybe you've never just taken the opportunity to begin to ask the question, what does my heart hold as a core belief that is leading me to this action? Is there a distrust in who God is? Is, is, there, an, is there an uncertainty that God is actually good? It, I mean, what is it? that it, your heart believes that is leading you there. And if you can convince your heart to believe something else, then you're on the road to healing. Does this make sense? Maybe it's time to begin asking your question, what is my heart looking for that only God can satisfy? I mean, what is, what is my heart looking for in this in this situation, from this person, uh, in this place, or in this church, or all these kinds of things? What, what am I asking something or someone else to, to do, or to satisfy, or to speak to? What am I asking in my heart that really only God can satisfy, and, and look to, and speak to? And what, what is it that, that only God can do in my heart, that my heart is asking something else to do? Maybe if I, if, I, if, I just, if I just did this, if I just got that, if I just had this level of recognition, then all of a sudden my heart would be satisfied. My heart would, would be at peace. But, but really that thing and that, that recognition and that accolade, all of that kind of stuff is never going to heal your heart the way you want because your heart is longing for something that only God can satisfy. You see, your life and your heart are in perfect sink which is why God says guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life the old translations used to say it's the wellspring of life everything that you do flows from it Jesus says where your treasure is there your heart is as well And when it comes to this idea of our life and our heart being in perfect sync, I would want to say this. Your heart belongs to your deepest treasure or your deepest affection. And and I would just encourage you this Christmas season, this Advent season, to begin to ask yourself the the question. And it it might take some time to dig through this. but, But ask yourself the question, What is my heart's deepest affection? What do I treasure most in life? That's where your heart is. All of your life flows from that. Maybe it is recognition. Maybe it is accolades. Maybe it's accomplishment. If that's you, if if the deepest affection of your heart is accomplishment, then all of your life will be centered on gaining recognition from accomplishments or all of your heartache will be rooted in the lack of that expected accomplishment. Maybe there's something else. 
Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And the gospel wants to turn that around and say the deepest affection of our hearts is not accolades or accomplishment or this or that or the other, but the only true treasure of my heart, the only true affection of my heart is Christ and him crucified and resurrected. If we can get there in our lives, then our whole life will flow out of that, out of this place of health and wholeness and Christ-centeredness, that if we can get our hearts and train our hearts to the point where we believe that Christ is my only true affection, then all of our lives will flow from that. Well, that sounds very nice and clean. That's a very nice Christmas message. <laughs> Life is dirtier than that, isn't it? I mean, the reality is not that I can just sort of easily discern, oh, the affection of my heart is this, and oh, I just need to make the affection of my heart Christ. Okay, I got that done, checked it off the list. Now on to the next thing. What's the next thing, Lord? Want me to save the world? I mean, I got this figured out. Right? Life isn't that clean. Life is kind of dirty, so the reality is that the affections of our hearts are most likely a little bit over here and a little bit over here, and and yeah, a little bit of church and Jesus and all that stuff on Sunday, but then on Monday it's this, and it's that temptation in my heart, and and like there's just like this kind of dirtiness to life where my heart is constantly being pulled in all these different directions, which let me tell you, this is why we need church. Oh, you never saw that coming. (laughs) Because guess what? Church and the community of believers is the training center for the heart. Church and, and, and getting together and singing songs, and I do mean singing the songs, right? Not like... I mean, there, there's, good, there's, there's good and value in, in just sort of sitting and absorbing for a while. But man, if you've been sitting and absorbing songs and worship songs for years and years and years, it is time for you to make a joyful noise, even if that's what it is, a noise unto the Lord. You've got to align, open your mouth and sing the words. And what it does is it aligns your heart. Because I don't know about you, but between Monday and Saturday, my heart tends to wander a little bit. I mean, there's other affections that sneak in. But when I come in and I gather with all of you, and I sit on the front row, and I sing, my heart is trained and aligned so that my deepest affection is once again Christ. You see, life is kind of dirty, and the affections of our hearts go everywhere. We need a training center for our hearts, and the Lord has graciously provided that in the community called the church. Because any time that you sing, any time that you 
hear the word of God, when you receive the elements of communion, when you pray, even when you pray prayers that are already written for you, your heart is aligned. And in fact, part of the reason that we do the written prayers is because we tend to pray from our emotional centers, right? We tend to pray prayers that are just all about how we feel, and that's good, and that's great, because if you're praying, you need to let the Lord know how you feel. You need to be honest, but if you're only praying from your emotional center, you're losing some opportunity to train your heart to what is actually true, because your emotions may not be completely in contact with what, is, what actually is true. And so ever, just once a week, we write up some prayers, and we don't write them. We just put them up there. The people that wrote them are church fathers from centuries ago. They write these prayers and we, we join with churches from all over the world that today are praying that same prayer of expectation for Jesus to come because it aligns our heart to the truth. And so when you receive the elements of communion, when you pray, when you hear the word of God, when you sing, uh, when you stand, when you sit, when you take a posture of worship, this is all training for our hearts, so that our deepest treasure will be Christ. You see, what the world needs and what the church needs is not for people to live more from their heart. What we need is to know how to shape our hearts and train our hearts so that our deepest affection is Christ. Are you with me? That's what the church needs. That's what the world needs. We don't need to live from our hearts more. We're already doing that. We can't help but do that. We need to train our hearts so that our deepest affection is Christ. Now, of course, there's a reciprocal relationship between our actions and our hearts. Uh, Because up to this point, I've said that, that all of life flows out of the heart, right? Our actions are always aligned with what our heart says first. Uh, But guess what? There's a reciprocal relationship where our heart is dictating our actions. Did you also know that your actions can dictate your heart? Your actions dictate your heart. Marriage counselors for years have said, even if you don't feel like you love her, act in loving ways toward her and your heart will follow. Uh, and I've told that to couples that have come to me in crisis counseling. And they're just like, we just don't feel in love anymore. And I said, well, how long have you been married? Three months? You know, I mean, the feeling of love will dissipate over time. That's why we act in loving ways toward one another. And the feeling stays alive. You see what I'm saying? If if. And the, part of the reason that we have such a, a, a high uh, rate of divorce in our culture is because we've been told we need to live our lives of marriage out of our emotional centers. If you just don't feel it anymore, you just don't feel it, right? Now, I understand that also divorce is very complicated and each situation is different. And I'm not trying to make any broad statements, but I'm just saying at least part of the reason is because we've told people to walk into their relationship and their commitment of marriage uh, saying, as long as the feeling is still alive, stick with it. 
And, and they get into it two years and they realize, man, I just I don't feel the same way that I did on our wedding day. See, there's a, there's a reciprocal relationship between our heart and our actions and our actions and our heart. Which is why a couple of months ago, we gave you money to go and be generous with. Do you remember that? We called it a reverse offering. And uh, we thought about passing the plates and all of you took money out, but we thought that that would be bad training. And so we just had envelopes available in the back. So like, we thought maybe people like the next week would be like making change. You know, I'll give 20, take a 10 out. It's all good. You know, so, um, so we didn't do that, but we did a reverse offering where we gave you money to go and be generous with. Well, why would we ever do that? Because we want to train your hearts to be generous because when the act of generosity, something happens in your heart. You get what I'm saying? And so... The first point, then, is you can't help but live from your heart. And your heart needs training. The second point that I want to make about the centrality of the heart, and then I'm done. Is that there's a problem with our hearts. And that is that your heart is prone to wander away from God. Scripture makes clear two things. You can't help but live from your heart. The heart is the core of who you are. The seat of everything that comes out of you begins and has its beginning from the heart. And yet, at the very same time, given over to its own way, your heart is prone to wander from God. Listen to Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. In my study, when I discovered this verse, it blew me away. This is after the Noah story. And so God has destroyed the world through flood and now is rebuilding the world with a brand new beginning. And he says this in Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and he said... In his heart. That is, he said in the deepest part of who he is. The first time I came across this verse in my study, the translation that I was reading said, The Lord said to himself. And I didn't think that that was the word, labe, uh, because how could it be? It's not translated heart, but the word actually is, The Lord said to his labe, the center of who he is. And he says this, never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. You see, right from the very beginning, there is this distinction between the goodness of God's heart and the wanderingness, I made that word up, wanderingness of our own hearts. That our hearts are prone to wander from the God who loves us and has saved us. Which is why the season of Advent is so important. Because the season of Advent isn't really about 
having 25 days of Christmas. The season of Advent is really a season of longing, of expectation. It, on, on one hand, it's, it's a season of remembering that, that Christ has come at Christmas, the very first Christmas, and all that means, and we have all kinds of reason to celebrate and, and, and sing in exaltation that Jesus has come. He lived a perfect life. He died a perfect death. He was resurrected to defeat death. There's, there's good news to that. But Advent is not so much about looking back in celebration as much as it is about looking forward in expectation. It's a, it's a season to remember that our hearts are wandering from God. We need to train our hearts through the church, but most of all, what we need is our hearts to be renewed by Christ's coming again. That's what we desperately need. And so we sing, come Lord Jesus. We sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. This is a a, a, a carol of longing and expectation. That's what Advent is really all about. Our hearts are prone to wander, and yet we serve a good God who sent out and set out to rescue our hearts from their wandering and to bind our hearts to Himself. That's the good news of Christmas. The good news of the incarnation, that is Jesus becoming flesh, the word of God made flesh, uh, Jesus coming as a baby. The good news of the incarnation is that God had a plan to rescue our wandering hearts and to bind those wandering hearts through Christ to himself. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click Online Giving.